0: God is most fully and completely revealed to us in His Word. To worship God in truth, you must understand the truth about worship, and you must understand the truth about God.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom continues in his current series titled, The Heart of Worship. And throughout this current series so far, we've discovered that God requires us to worship in spirit and in truth, responding to His glory with awe, wonder, and gratitude. But what does it mean to understand the truth? when worshiping God. Last time Tom defined worship as seeing and savoring the supreme worthiness of God and responding in humility, thankfulness, praise, and truth. On today's program Tom teaches that to worship in truth you must first understand and acknowledge the truth about God as he is revealed in Scripture. Are you doing that in your own life friend? Let's join Tom to find out more here on The Word Unleashed.
0: True worship is a rare commodity in our world. Thanks to the promotion of Oprah Winfrey, a book and a video entitled The Secret by Rhonda Byrne have taken the country literally by storm. I'm sure you've seen it in bookstores, you've read about it. It's topped the New York Times bestseller list and the USA Today top 150 bestsellers. The promotional for this book, The Secret, makes this audacious claim, quote, this is the secret to everything, the secret to unlimited joy, health, money, relationships, love, youth, everything you have ever wanted. So what is the secret, you ask? Well, here it is from page 71 of the book. Here's the secret. Your current reality or your current life is a result of the thoughts you have been thinking. So, in other words, all you have to do then is change your thoughts, change your thinking. Its basic premise is very similar to Scientology or Kabbalah. Listen to Byrne explain herself. You are God in a physical body you are spirit in the flesh you are eternal life expressing itself as you you are a cosmic being you are all power you are all wisdom you are all intelligence you are perfection you are magnificence you are the creator and you are creating the creation of you on this planet the earth turns on its orbit for you The oceans ebb and flow for you, the birds sing for you, the sun rises and it sets for you, the stars come out for you. I'm not making this up, by the way, this is from the book. (laughs) Every beautiful thing you see, every wondrous thing you experience is all there for you. Take a look around, none of it can exist without you. No matter who you thought you were, now you know the truth of who you really are. You are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. You are the perfection of life. And now you know the secret. Sounds a lot like a sign I saw recently that said, am I self-centered or is it just me? Seriously, it sounds a lot more like what Satan promised Eve in the Garden of Eden, you will be like God. As we've studied recently, every human being has been hardwired to worship. And if they refuse to worship the true God, they will worship something or someone else. Oprah and The Secret are encouraging millions of Americans to worship themselves teaching them that it really is, after all, all about you. But true biblical worship, as we've been learning, is not about us at all. It's all about God. The object of our worship matters. Now, the secret is an especially egregious example of having the wrong object of worship, but even Christians who worship the true God can undermine their worship by having a flawed understanding of God himself. So in John chapter 4, Christ teaches us to worship God in truth. To worship God in truth requires that we understand who it is that we're worshiping. Turn to John chapter 4 and let me read this text for you again, these wonderful teachings of our Lord as he encounters this woman at the well there in Samaria, she begins this part of the conversation in verse 20 by saying, "'Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship.'" Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews.'" But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In this amazing paragraph, this encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, we've discovered that there are buried within it several inviolable laws of true worship. We discovered several weeks ago now, number one, that true worship is not external, but must rise from the heart. It's not about where your body is. It's where your heart is. Secondly, we've learned that true worship is not merely emotional, but must result from knowledge. Jesus told this woman, you worship what you don't even know. You cannot truly worship without that worship being based on knowledge. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the third law of worship, and that is true worship is not intuitive, but must be directed by the truth we find this in verse 23 look at what jesus said to this woman an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in truth our worship must be consistent with and directed by the truth of god now there's a sense in which all of God's truth or all of God's revelation is to direct our worship. But Jesus' emphasis here in this place is on understanding the truth about worship itself and the truth about the God that we worship. To worship in truth, we must understand the truth about what worship is and how we're to worship, and we must understand the truth about whom we worship. Over the last couple of weeks, we've examined the truth about worship itself, how we are to worship. We concluded our study last week by defining worship. We said that worship is seeing and savoring the supreme value and worthiness of God and responding in humble submission, thankful praise and adoration, and godly fear. That is worship. That's what our worship will look like if we want how we worship to be directed by God's truth. But worshiping God in truth not only demands that we understand the truth about worship itself, it also demands that we understand the truth about the object of our worship or about God. There is no true worship if our concept of God is flawed. That's exactly what happened to the Samaritans, isn't it? Jesus told this woman... You people aren't truly worshiping the true God even though you think you are because your knowledge of Him is flawed and incomplete. You don't even know who it is you're worshiping because they refuse to accept God's complete revelation about Himself in Scripture. Jesus told this woman that her worship and the worship of her people was not true worship. That means that if we want to worship in truth, then we must understand the truth about God. But that raises the question, how? How do we learn the truth about God? Where do we go to discover the truth that we need to know in order to worship him rightly? What are the sources of our knowledge of God? We come to know God rightly not through our own efforts, not through our own steam, not through our own machinations not through our own mental processes but rather the scripture everywhere screams at us that we come to know God through revelation revelation now the Greek word that's translated revelation or God revealing himself is a word that has an English counterpart that we get from that word the Greek word is apocalypsis the word we get is apocalypse The word literally means an unveiling or a disclosure. When we speak of God's revelation of himself, we mean God's drawing back the veil in order to show us himself. We could say revelation is God's self-disclosure. God's self-disclosure. And that self-disclosure or God's revelation comes to us on two paths, or in two different forms, what theologians call general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is what God teaches us about himself apart from the Bible. It's what God teaches us about himself in nature and in providence and in conscience. For example, in Psalm 19 verse 1 and in Romans chapter 1 verses 19 to 21, We're told that nature, that creation, teaches us about God's existence. That it teaches us about God's power. Look around you and you can see in the created world the evidence of God's existence and of his power. You can see his deity in his creation. So God has generally revealed himself in creation. He's revealed the truth about him that he is God that he exists, and that he is powerful. In Acts chapter 14, Paul talks to the crowd there in Lystra. In Acts 14 and verse 17, he says that the God who made the heavens and the earth has not left himself without a witness. What witness, Paul? In that he did good, and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness every person who lives in the world experiences the goodness of God God reveals his goodness through his providence in giving us all of the good things that are a part of this life and so God reveals himself through nature he reveals himself through providence we learn of his deity and we learn of his goodness In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we learn that through conscience, God reveals himself. In your conscience, God reveals something about himself. The fact that every one of us sitting here and every human being has a conscience, and written on that conscience, Paul says in Romans 2, is the substance of the law of God. We understand the substance of God's law, that there is a righteous being who has established right and wrong, that he is the moral judge of the universe. Every human being understands that. It's written on the heart. God has generally revealed himself through conscience that he's righteous and that he has a moral code of law by which he rules the universe. In fact, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 32 All men even understand that there is coming judgment for violating that law. Verse 32 of Romans 1 says, Although they know the ordinance of God, there it is written on the heart, that they who practice such things are worthy of death. They understand that what they do deserves God's judgment. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Understand that apart from the Bible... God has revealed those things about Himself. He's revealed His deity. He's revealed His power. He's revealed His existence. He's revealed His goodness. He's revealed His expectations, His righteous law code written in the heart, and and even an innate sense of coming judgment for the violation of that law code. All those things can be learned about God without a Bible, so that every man is without excuse. But here's the problem. We don't clearly perceive God's message in general revelation. Why is that? Because of the effects of the curse around us jumble the message so that we don't get it clearly. And also because of what's inside of us. Our own sinfulness causes us to misinterpret God's message in general revelation. For example, unbelievers look at the majesty of God's creation and do they see the deity of God? Do they see the existence of God? Do they see his, his power? No. They look at general revelation and they conclude the ridiculous theory of evolution. It's like having bad hearing and bad eyesight. Another person may be speaking very clearly to you and if you were able to understand, you would understand them clearly, but you don't. The fact that you can't understand them isn't their fault. It's your eyes and your ears. In the same way, general revelation cannot give us infallible truth about God, not because there's something flawed with the message God is sending, but with the problem of our own ability to see it and to hear it. So we can thank God that God has not only revealed himself in general revelation, But God, in his grace, has revealed himself specially through what theologians call special revelation. God has spoken. Special revelation is when God speaks to man either directly or through chosen messengers. Think about how God has communicated. Before the scripture was complete, God spoke in a variety of ways. He spoke through personal address. Actually, a voice would come from heaven and speak. He spoke by means of a theophany, that is a physical appearance of God, or a Christophany, a visible appearance of Christ before his incarnation. He spoke through mechanical means like the lot cast in the lap or like that mysterious breastplate of the high priest, the Urim and the Thummim, through which God communicated. He spoke through miracles and visions and dreams, he spoke through intelligent beings such as the angels and, of course, the prophets. And God's final word came to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This was God's supreme self-revelation. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 Verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. The Apostle John, in John chapter 1, verse 18, says, No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained to him. Literally, he has exegeted God. God's final word, all God wanted us to know with certainty about himself, he has revealed through his direct communication, through his messengers, the prophets, and ultimately culminating in the revelation of his son. Then through the work of the Spirit, God has ensured that all that he's revealed that he wanted us to know all that he revealed through the prophets and all he revealed through his direct communication and all he revealed through Christ and his teaching and through the apostles was recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. All of those messages have now been recorded as written revelation. And so God's self-revelation comes to us especially through the Scripture. Those messages have been written down in a book that you hold in your hand. God is most fully and completely revealed to us in his word. Do you ever find yourself wishing that God would speak directly to you? you ever find yourself wishing that God would reveal himself personally and directly? You would have some sort of vision? That's not an uncommon temptation for Christians. Listen to how Peter responded to that. Peter said, listen, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration I saw the glorified Christ. I heard the voice from heaven. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and seen that? But then Peter says, but we have a much more sure word of prophecy. God has taken everything he wants us to know about himself, his self-revelation, and he's put it in a book that you hold in your hand. How do we learn the truth about God in order to worship him rightly? We learn it through his self-revelation that is recorded for us in the Bible. Now, that raises a question for me, and it does for you. Turn back to John chapter 4. What did Jesus teach this woman, this Samaritan woman, about God in this conversation? What did he teach her? Well, notice that he taught her about the nature of God. He made it clear, for example, in this passage, that God is a person. Every comment Jesus makes in the passage I read to you in this conversation makes it clear that Jesus knew God personally and that he knew him to be a self-conscious, rational, personal being. So he made it clear to this woman that God is a person. In verse 24, he states that God is spirit. Now, we'll touch on this more next week when we talk about what it means to worship in spirit, but he is obviously opening up the nature of God to this woman. In this brief conversation, God taught this woman profound truths about the nature of the being of God, some of which she would have already embraced. But then Jesus went on to teach her what she had not known about God. Specifically, he taught her and As he teaches her, we kind of watch over his shoulder, and he teaches us as well, about the character of God. Not only about the nature of God, but the character of God. Notice what he wants us to know here about God's character. He wants us to know that God has revealed himself as a father. Did you notice that three times in these verses, Jesus refers to God as father? One time in verse 21 twice in verse 23 this in fact was jesus favorite title for god in the gospels jesus refers to god as his father more than 60 times now when we understand that we hear that expression when jesus uses the expression father we understand that god was the father of jesus in a special sense that he is not our father jesus made this very clear turn over to john chapter 10 In John 10, and you remember the basic flow of this text, Jesus is interacting in verse 22 at the time of the Feast of the Dedication. It was winter. Jesus was in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, verse 24, gather around him, and they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But if you do not believe because you are not my sheep, you do not believe, Jesus says, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here he is using this this language of God as his Father. Well, just in case they missed what he meant by calling God his Father, he defines it. Look at verse 30. I and the Father are one. That is, we are unity. We are of one essence. Say, well, wait a minute. Are you sure that's what Jesus meant? That's not what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Well, the Jews certainly understood that. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we are not stoning you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man... Make yourself out to be God. You see, they understood that by that statement, I and the Father are one, we are unity, we are of one essence, Jesus was claiming to be God himself.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 11 of his series, The Heart of Worship. Tom will have part 12 for you on our next program. We do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at org. Again, that's listeners at o r g or you can call us at one eight seven seven five seven seven word And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org.